There are two readings. Um, the first one will be from Exodus chapter 34, verses 27 to 35. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these, these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he'd been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterwards, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. And the second reading this evening is from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. But I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. From 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verses 7 to 18. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the glory of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, What was once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have a hope, such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but... When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thank you, Ella, for reading for us, and Esther, who read before. Uh, two things are going to help you this evening. Uh, one, a little bit, uh, which is the sermon notes. That's on the back of the handout you received as you came in, just a little outline for you. Uh, but the thing that will particularly help you is to have the Bible there in front of you uh, as we work our way through. And we'll refer back to those passages that were read earlier on. Uh, but let's pray as we begin. Our Father, we uh, gather uh, together to hear you speak to us. And you have spoken to us as your word has been read And we pray that as we look at your words together now, you would speak to our hearts, that you would change us, that you would encourage us as we seek to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, growing up as a Christian in a Christian family in the 80s, that meant that I learned from a very early age uh, the great Christmas, uh, Christmas, the Christian choruses, sorry, of that era. So shine, Jesus, shine, meekness and majesty, uh, Lord, I lift your name on high, all the classics. Uh, if that wasn't your experience, then you really missed out. Uh, good times. Uh, but there was one chorus that went like this. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. And I'm pretty sure it had some actions that went with it, but I can't quite remember them. Um, if you want to show me afterwards, you can if you, if you really want to. Be bold, be bold is the application for this passage this evening. It's there in verse 12. Since we have this hope, we are very bold. Now, boldness is not arrogance, where we think that we're wonderful. Paul's already said uh, earlier on in in chapter 3, Uh, that if he has any competence at all, it's not come from him, it's all God's work done in God's power. It's not arrogance, it's boldness. And there's a difference. To be bold is that kind of forthright, straight-talking openness. It's a confidence that comes from an inner certainty that what you're doing is what God says you should be doing. That's the boldness that Paul has. And it's the boldness that he wants us to have as well. And I tell you that up front because I want us to keep that application of boldness. This is here to make me bold. Keep that in mind as we go through. What we hear tonight should make us bold about authentic Christian ministry. And we learned the marks of authentic ministry last week. This is how we defined it. We saw that it was... uh, The gospel of Christ faithfully preached from the word of God and that it is the work of the Spirit in the heart. The gospel of Christ faithfully preached from God's word and the work of the Spirit in the heart. That's what uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 3 taught us. Now at the end of last week's passage we heard Paul call that authentic Christian ministry, he called it new covenant ministry, that was in verse 6, and we didn't really say much about that then. Paul wants us to become bold to do this kind of ministry, and he also wants us to be bold to defend this kind of ministry when it comes under attack, as it was then and as it still is today. 
People were saying of Paul that he was too serious about sin, that he was too strict on various ethical matters. They said that he was too exclusive about who is saved. And many people say the same thing about Paul today, don't they? And they were saying too that his kind of ministry, that straightforward teaching of the gospel of Jesus from the Bible, they said that he was a fool to think that that was going to be effective in converting the world. It was too weak, too ordinary, it was unattractive, and it would never appeal to a culture that valued glitz and glamour and glory, such as that in Corinth. And that view's still out there today, isn't it? In a culture such as ours today. Just teaching the Bible... Just speaking about Jesus from the Bible, that's not enough. We should make it more jazzy, more appealing, more glorious. Only then could we expect people to be interested in the 21st century. But Paul says, no. He says, we are very bold about this kind of ministry and I want to show you why. I want to persuade you, brothers and sisters that this ministry is the real deal. And that even though it looks weak and it looks ordinary, it's actually the ministry of glory. And I want, you to, I want to persuade you of that so that you might be bold about it as well. So let me pray. Let's pray that this makes us bold. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, as we come to consider your word, we want to apply it in the way that your word applies it to our hearts. And so we pray that you would make us bold, absolutely confident that what you have called us to do is what you have called us to do, that we might do it well. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul's going to show us how this new covenant ministry, just weak and feeble as it appears, is actually the glorious work of God in the world. And it's pretty obvious that glory is the big words in the passage, isn't it? Just have a look um, from verse 7 to 11. Uh, it's there ten times the word glory or glorious. He wants to persuade us that this new covenant ministry is even more glorious than the old covenant ministry that Moses had. And he's going to give us several reasons why that's the case. He's going to compare the two. Uh, and that's what I've laid out for you on uh, the handout. But before we get to it, um, you might be asking, well, look, what on earth is this new and old covenant stuff? What's it about? And that's a really good question. Simply put, a covenant is a firm agreement between two parties. And it establishes the boundaries of their relationship how it's going to work. And so the obvious example is marriage. And in fact, if you remember the Jeremiah um, verses that were read, God spoke about his covenant with Israel as if it was a marriage that uh, they had broken. The marriage vows are that example. We, before witnesses, each party makes promises one to the other. And those promises, they bind them together in their relationship. They set the parameters, they set the boundaries within which that relationship can flourish. Now, this was happening all the time in the Old Testament. 
But in particular, Moses was given a covenant by God, which we now call the Old Covenant. And it was mentioned in our first reading, Exodus 34. Let me just read to you those verses again, just verses 27 and 28. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. There's an agreement on how we'll relate together. So Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So God rescued Israel out of Egypt. He promised to be their God, to love them, to care for them. And God's people promised to keep his commandments. That was to be their relationship. That was the terms of the covenant. And they were written on tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments. That was the old covenant. Now Paul's point here in 2 Corinthians is to compare that old covenant with the new covenant, the one that Jeremiah spoke of in our second reading. The new covenant which has come to us through Jesus Christ. So that's the comparison, old with new. So here's what we see. Verse, let's be, let me read again, verse 6, uh, just leaning back into last week's passage, beginning at verse 6 uh, through to verse 11. Paul says, Our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. The Old Covenant was written on tablets of stone. That's in verse 3 and in verse 7 as well. It was good and it came from God with glory. Now that might surprise us given what Paul's about to say about it, about death and, and condemnation and all of that. But he says, no, it was glorious. It was. In fact, if you uh, were to go back in Israel's history, this is the point at which God's glory was most obvious around that time of the Exodus. Now his glory is his goodness. God reveals his goodness to his people, his character his glory to us through his commandments. And when God gave it, it came with his glorious presence. Moses saw the glory of God, at least in a shielded way. And the people, well, they were one step further removed, but they still had some experience of God's glory. They, they saw it reflected in Moses' face. And even that was too much for them. The old covenant was glorious, said Paul. But there was a problem. And the problem's not with the Old Covenant itself. It certainly wasn't with God's side of the promises. No, the problem's with his people. 
We have a problem. We can't keep our side. See, the tablets of stone, they told us what the will of God was, but they could not give us any power to keep it. Our desire to sin is too strong. We can't keep God's law, and so we've broken that covenant. And as a consequence, glorious though it is, it becomes for us a ministry that brought us death, verse 7. And a ministry of condemnation, eternal judgment, verse 9. It ceased to be effective and was being brought to an end, verse 7 and verse 11. Though it came with glory, it could not deal with our sinful hearts. But now Jesus Christ has come, and Jesus has done something about our biggest problem. Jesus was a perfect man, keeping God's law. But he took our sin upon himself and died under God's wrath in our place. Before Jesus died, he spoke to his disciples as he shared his last meal with them, and he said that his blood for them would be a new covenant in the forgiveness of their sins, so that they might live and not die, so that we might be declared righteous in God's sight, to be justified, to be not eternally condemned. Jesus is writing a new way that we can relate with God, simply by faith in him. And it's the good news about this new covenant that Christ has made that's right at the heart of Paul's preaching ministry. It's what he's talking about. He spends all his time telling people about what God has done in Jesus. And so he wants us to see just how much more glorious it is than the old. Just look at the comparison in these verses. It is of the Spirit, not the letter, verse 6. Verse 7 and 8, it means life instead of death. It brings righteousness instead of condemnation, verse 9. And it lasts forever instead of fading away, verse 11. New Covenant ministry is far more glorious when we trust in the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. God gives us his Spirit. See, in the Old Covenant, we knew what God's will was. The tablets of stone told us that, but we had no power to keep it. And so we died and were condemned for eternity. But now in the new, the Spirit of God changes the heart. He makes us alive in Christ and he helps us to keep God's word. It's far more glorious. It's what Jeremiah spoke of. In our second reading, Jeremiah predicted a day when God's law would no longer be on external tablets of stone, but placed within the hearts of God's people. Just turn with me to Jeremiah uh, chapter 31. It's page uh, 6. Five, uh, six, six, zero, six, six, zero. Just 
Jeremiah 31, verse 30, uh, but we'll start to verse 33. You can see in verse 31, he speaks about this new covenant. Verse 33, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbour and each his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Okay, turn back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, at page 965. Through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven and declared righteous in God's sight. And even more than that, by his Spirit, God works his righteousness into our hearts, enabling us to keep God's word. God says of us, I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. We're not condemned as we once were. And so the new covenant is far more glorious, so much so that the glory of the old has been surpassed. Just look at verse 10 of chapter 3. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. See, just as the lamps of the night shrink back in the light of the sun as it rises in the dawn, so the glory of the new covenant ministry has outshone the old. It has surpassed the old in glory, and it will never be surpassed by any other form of ministry. It has permanent glory, verse 11. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, that's the old, much more will what is permanent have glory. Be persuaded that Paul's kind of ministry, the weak, ordinary, Bible-teaching, Jesus-sharing ministry, New Covenant ministry, be persuaded that it is actually the glorious work of God in the world. It really is. The Spirit, not the letter. Life, not death. Righteousness, not condemnation. Permanent, not fading away. Paul says that this is the glorious ministry that God has given us in Christ. We've seen this ministry in action to bring life and righteousness in you, Corinthians, as well as in others. And that's why we are bold that's why we're totally unashamed about simple teaching about Jesus from God's word. That's why we keep on sticking with it, this kind of ministry. This is why we won't change it when other people say there's a more appealing or more impressive way to do it. This is why we're so bold, because this is the ministry of glory. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. And that brings us into the second section, verse 12 to 18. 
There's a second section, I think, just because there's a little bit more detailed, and it's a return to this uh, description of Exodus 34. But really, it's it's expanding upon the same thing uh, that he's been talking about. So let me read from verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. But to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So two things, numbers five and six on the handout. Two things that Paul now adds to our understanding to help us to be bold. He says this new covenant ministry is what takes away the veil so we can see God's glory in Jesus. Now, veils aren't particularly big in our minds uh, most of the time, except at weddings, of course. But I think even today, they're, they're probably not as big a deal as they used to be. Although, at this moment, veils are in our news, aren't they? What's happening in Iran at the moment has suddenly brought veils into our attention. Can I just encourage us to pray for that country and to pray that there be a restraint on the violence? Pray especially that there'll be new gospel freedoms there. There is a really rapidly growing church in Iran, um, although most of it's underground and there's much persecution. And if you saw on, uh, I think it was Friday, there was a prison on fire in um, Iran, even prison. And there are several uh, Christian pastors in that prison. So please do pray for them and for the country. Now, it's not a direct comparison because there's a whole lot going on in, in Iran and in Islam more generally, and that's more than uh, what Paul is talking about here. But it is interesting, I think, that the symbol of freedom has become the removal of the veil. There was a kind of double veiling going on in Israel, both back in Moses' day and actually in Paul's present day, he says. There's a double veiling. One is literal, one is figurative. There was a literal veil over Moses' face. Moses, as God's minister, could not reveal the glory of that which he'd been exposed to. He had to hide it because the people couldn't cope with it. They were afraid. There's some kind of sense that they had that they knew that God's glory was dangerous to them because of their sinfulness and his holiness. Now, verse 13 is a tricky verse um, to understand, but I think Paul is is showing that by covering Moses' face, the Israelites missed seeing the glory that was fading. They missed seeing the glory, they hid themselves from the glory, but they also missed that it was fading. That would have been a clue to them that they would need a new covenant with greater glory. I think that's what it means. That's one veil, that's the literal physical veil. More than that, there was another kind of veil that was a bigger problem. 
Look at how Paul describes them in these verses. Verse 14, their minds were hardened. The veil remains unlifted. To this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. This is a figurative veil covering the hearts of the Israelites. It's a way of saying that their sinfulness prevented them from fully knowing the glory of God, the God who had rescued them and come down to them to have relationship with them. Now next week we'll see that Paul will go on to say that this isn't just Israel, but that all humanity has a similar veiling going on that we simply cannot see the glory of God. We can't grasp his goodness. We can't understand the gospel because we're blind to it. We're hard-minded, hard-hearted. And therefore, we cannot know him. And that's really bad news for humanity. Nothing we can do can remove that veil. We can't remove it ourselves, and neither can anyone else. Well, except one person. Look at what else he says, verse 14. Through Christ, the veil is taken away. Or verse 16. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Why won't Paul stop talking about Jesus? Why is he so bold to keep on banging on about repentance and forgiveness in Christ? Why is he so bold to keep teaching God's word in such a straight-talking way? Why do we do that here? Why does Andy do that in Charleston? Well, because we know that it is only through proclaiming the gospel of Christ that the veil can be removed. How should we be praying for Iran? Well, we should pray that the veil is removed, but not so much the external one, the veil over the heart, that by the faithful preaching of God's word, these men and women may turn to the Lord and see the true glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what we should pray for our friends and for our neighbours and for our families that the veil is taken away. And there's even more for us. When that veil is removed from the heart, something really astonishing begins to take place. It starts in verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As someone turns to God in response to the gospel, the Lord, by his Spirit, he removes the veil. He works in the heart of that person to help him to see the truth of his glory. But that's just the start. As that happens... We're told that there is a new freedom for them. Freedom for what? Well, freedom to see God in a way that they've never seen him before. To behold the glory of the Lord with unveiled face. This is really remarkable. In the new covenant, by the Spirit of God, we gaze upon the face of Jesus Christ. We see his glory. 
We see his power and his love and his grace and goodness towards us. We see the saviour he is. We see the covenant that he's made through his blood. We begin to experience the same glory, says Paul, that Moses experienced when he met with God in the tabernacle all those years before. Except even more closely because the Spirit of God dwells within us. And verse 18, that beholding is a way of becoming. Just like Moses showed something of the Lord's glory in his face after going in to meet with God, so now Christian believers begin to show more and more of the glory of Jesus in their lives. Now that doesn't mean that we're going to start to glow um, like the ready brick man or get some kind of radioactive vibe or something like that. Now the glory of Christ is his goodness. It means that as we see Jesus by faith, we become like him, made increasingly into his image. And whereas Moses' glory faded over time, our glory will go on ever increasing from one degree of glory to another as the Spirit of God transforms our hearts and our lives. What an astonishing thing that this is. This is what New Covenant ministry achieves in the heart of those who receive it. It's glorious. And so back to our application, we are very bold. Though it often appears to be weak and ordinary and ineffective, the simple proclaiming of the good news of Jesus in the Bible is in fact the glorious work of God in the world, both to save and to transform. I wonder, are we persuaded of that? When you read your Bible to your kids at bedtime, do you really believe that this is what's happening? When you open up Mark's Gospel with a friend in a coffee shop, or when you point to Jesus in Psalm 23 in a care home, as someone told me they did earlier this week, do you see this is what you're involved in? When you prepare a Bible study or a talk for church, when you bring a friend along to come and hear the Gospel, do you realise that this is what's happening that this is what you're engaging in. The ministry of the Spirit, not the letter. Meaning life instead of death. Bringing righteousness instead of condemnation and lasting forever instead of fading away. This is the way that the veil over our hearts is removed so that we see God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And this is the way that our hearts are transformed to become like him. Bit by bit, we become like him. So let's not be ashamed. Let's not be apologetic or wavering. Let us confidently be about this ministry to others and stick with this ministry when it comes under fire or when we're told that there are better, more effective options out there. See, far from being lacking in glory, it is, in fact, the glorious work of God in the world. So let's be bold. Let's pray. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, 
has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our Father, we praise you that you've revealed your glory to us in the person of your Son, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be involved in this kind of ministry, to share his glory with others. Help us to be bold about that. Help us to be confident that as we present your word to others, as we speak about Jesus, that you're at work in their hearts by your spirit, and you're bringing glory to yourself, and that you're changing people into the image of your Son. Help us, we pray. We know that we're so often afraid or ashamed or timid. Help us to be bold by your Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen.